Well, welcome again, everyone. I know I'm not the first one to welcome you to our services, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I uh, want to say hi to Gary and Ann Tips. Uh, saw you on the earlier art, as always. Um, great to see you. And, and Roberta, as always, thank you for serving. And uh, just so good to be able to know that there are people joining us, not just those of us in this room, uh, but that we're being joined by people who are watching online now and others who will listen online at a later time as well. So uh, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us. If you are new with us here in person, we have a Next Steps card uh, that is in the, uh, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If not, um, there's one nearby. Uh, it'll be like a fun scavenger hunt. Uh, no. So you could go ahead and fill those out. We'd love to come alongside you in your journey. Uh, if you're watching online, you could click the Connect uh, tab at the top of your screen. Uh, we would love to be able to come alongside you again and know how we can help you get plugged in to the people and the purpose of our church. Now, we are... Uh, Excited about what God has for us today. We're going to do something uh, a little bit different than we've done before, but I promise you it's not scary. Um, it's not something that you need to get anxiety or worried about. Um, hopefully, if nothing else, it'll relieve uh, same anxiety for us. Uh, but we'll do that near the end of the sermon, uh, so that'll either whet your appetite for more or give you enough time to leave. I don't know. You can decide. No. Um, but we are excited, uh, and so I'm going to ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready uh, for what God has for each and every one of us. Because if you are hearing my voice, whether in person or online, God knows you and loves you. God has you listening to this message at this moment for a reason. And God is calling all of us to respond to what he has for us today. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each and every person who hears my voice now. Lord, I thank you that each person that hears my voice has been fearfully and wonderfully made by you, someone who is loved by you deeply. And I pray that if nothing else, people will acknowledge or recognize how much you love them today. God, I pray that as we uh, dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, uh, may you speak, may we listen, and may we respond in the way that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our sermon this morning is called Beneath the Surface. And, and I wonder um, if you've ever had a moment like I had a few weeks ago. I was uh, washing dishes at uh, the end of the night that um, when I was growing up, uh, I remember telling my mom that, you know, there's some one chore I don't want to do, and that's washing dishes. So can anyone place a bet on what I do every single night? Um, Steph clean, or cooks, I clean. Uh, and so it works really well. It's worked for us for, for almost 15 years of marriage. But um, so that's, you know, washing dishes. And I was, as I was washing, um, our puppy that we had just got was over here, kind of in the little uh, pen area and was sleeping, which in and of itself was, was a, a blessing. Um, having a puppy has been an adjustment uh, for sure. And so I think I'm learning that uh, the degree to which your puppy loves you is directly equivalent to how many scratches you have on your hands because um, it means that he's just, you know, very excited about you um, and that you taste good to him. So it was very, you know, I have lots of scratches, but I was washing dishes and um, I remember I was just kind of thinking about different things and praying and, and there's just a lot that was going on here. We we're preparing for Easter. We we're navigating some uh, conversations here at the church. I was trying to navigate some phone, uh, family dynamics, trying to uh, navigate school as I'm in grad school right now. As I'm trying to think through all these different things and trying to be a good husband and trying to be a good dad and trying to follow Jesus. And, and I remember just the littlest thing. Have you ever had just the littlest thing 
end up feeling like it puts you over the edge. And so as I was washing a dish, I had a, a, a wooden brush, um, a wooden handle with a brush at the end of it. And I remember as I was moving the dish into the dishwasher, uh, the dish like knocked the, um, knocked the counter, knocked the edge of the sink. The dish was fine. It didn't break or anything. But I remember how loud it was, and it felt like I was just bubbling over with frustration. And I didn't even know where it was coming from. And so you know, I put the dish away safely. But in my frustration, I took that wooden brush and I just snapped it in half. And my first thought was, I can't believe I just broke that. That thing was thick. The second thought was, Steph is going to be upset because, you know, that's why, why am I destroying things? Then my third thought is, is, what's going on beneath the surface? Steph responded just so graciously to me because my first thought, well, again, not my, my first thought. Then I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that broken dish, uh, dish brush. I'm going to go into the garage, get some Elmer's wood glue, and I'm going to glue it together. I'm going to try to just kind of unbreak something that has been broken, put it in the garage, hope that it lasts, try to use it again, and then be able to say, oh, look, you know, nothing happened. No one was the wiser. And so I did the glue. I put it in. I tried to hide it. And uh, like 30 minutes later or so, I, I'm like, okay, I want to test it out. Because Steph was upstairs with the girls, getting them ready. And so I, you know, I get the brush and I put like the smallest amount of uh, force behind it. And it just snaps all over again. And I just remember being like, I can't hide this. As much as I would like, as much as maybe we would like to hide the emotions that are bubbling beneath the surface, we can't unbreak something that's broken. We, we, we can't hide when there's this layer beneath the surface of anxiety, of anger, of fear, of sadness, of burden, responsibility, worry. And we've been in this series that's been talking about building up God, godly families or building up families. And it's called Some Assembly Required because this takes work for this to happen. See, many of us walk around, and we have a picture of, a, of an iceberg here. Many of us walk around, and people can see what's above the surface. And above the surface, we can put on a good face. We can show up to church on a Sunday morning, and we can smile. And, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm doing great. When inside, beneath the surface, we are bubbling with anxiety and fear and anger and sadness. We try to hide it. And, in fact, you know, in our current season, you don't even have to give with a fake smile because your mask covers it anyways. And so you can just, you could just put on the, you could just put on a face without even having to try it. And so we show up and, and this picture paints or gives us an example of what's above the surface is what people see. But it's what's beneath the surface that can cause the most damage. See, the Titanic didn't sink because there was something above the surface. The Titanic sunk because there was so much underneath the surface that could not have been seen that wreaked havoc and ended lives and created tragedy. Now, when we are bubbling and have things boiling beneath the surface and we're not going to the Lord with them, we're not processing them, we're not acknowledging that fear, sadness, anger, these are all real emotions, valid emotions that we often try to stuff and put away and hide in the garage with some wood glue. But we can't unbreak something that's broken on our own. We can't hide 
when something boils up. And Steph, again, was so gracious because she just said, why? Like, I had to say, I'm like, I broke this. I was angry. And instead of being angry back, she just said, you know, what, what do you think it is that's causing you to be so angry? And sometimes it's with a simple question, a lovingly asked question that we start to actually see what's beneath the surface. And as we've been again in the series, and, and Dan Lewis started us two weeks ago, and he kind of helped us to expand what this series would be, that it's not just, you know, it's building up God's families and building up families, but it's not simply the f- idea of family in the New Testament. It wasn't just, you know, your nuclear family or your immediate family inside your household. It was expanded to different generations. It was extended family. It could also mean like your community, your, your group of people, your spheres of influence. And so how do we build those up? And we've been pretty intentional about not just calling a family series and say, okay, this is how you are to act as a child. This is how you are to act as a spouse. This is how you are to act as a parent. And so we didn't want to go role specific with this because our family dynamics, our households look different. Some of us are single, some of us are married, some of us want to be married, some of us have kids, some of us wish that we could have kids, some of us are empty nesters, some of us are grandparents, some of us are just, they have different looks and the family box does not necessarily fit us. And so with that in mind, it's not so much what roles do we have in order to fulfill being in a godly family or a godly household, it's what are some actions, what are some perspectives, what are some mindsets, and what are some disciplines that we can do to become godly people. So we're not just Christians inside of a home and hoping that makes us a Christian home, but we are intentionally building our lives upon God and his word in order to make sure that our homes are founded upon God and his word and our relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 6, but we're going to refer to Matthew 7 because as we are talking about beneath the surface, kind of the idea we're going to wrestle with today is that if you're like me and issues that we have that are beneath the surface, issues that we have at home that are beneath the surface require us to build our homes and our foundations on a foundation that's beneath the surface. It's wordy, it's verbose, If you've not met me, I am wordy and verbose. But the idea of recognizing that beneath the surface, in order to get into and uproot some of these roots that are causing this bad fruit in our lives. As Faith mentioned earlier, or mentioned just the idea of the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If those are the good fruit of the Spirit, many of us have fruits that are very different than that. And so how do we uproot those seeds that create bad fruit and how do we plant ourselves in a deeper foundation and build our families in a deeper foundation in order to have the kind of godly fruit that we're meant to have, to live the lives we're called to live. And so we're going to be talking about two uh, parables. They're the same story. In fact, they're the first parable that we see in the book of Matthew. Um, and it comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus' first sermon, Matthew 5, discusses how there's a crowd of people around and then there are the disciples there. And so like many times when someone is preaching God's word, there are people in this room or watching online who are disciples, who are committed, who are following Jesus. And there's many of us in this room that are part of, we're, we're here to hear something, we've been invited, we're, we, we may not have been fully disciples yet, but we're, we're part of the crowd. We want to learn or we're here to at least 
appease someone who wants us to learn. But Jesus speaks to both people. And so God's word speaks to both people, both types of people, I should say. And so at the end of this, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, at the end of Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, we see the two builders. And it's the parable of the two builders. And in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, the point is where we are supposed to build. Where do we build our lives? We won't read the entire passage, but the idea is Jesus talks about how anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a wise builder who builds a house upon the rock. That the storms will come, the floods will rise, the wind will batter the sides of the house, but that house will stand firm because it's built on the rock. Yet anyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like someone who builds their lives upon the sand. The storms will come, the floods will rise, the wind will batter the sides, and yet that house will be destroyed. See, the storms and the floods and the winds come to both the crowds and the disciples. They come to the wise builders and the unwise. They come to all of us. The question is, according to Matthew 7, where do we build our foundation? Is it, is it on the sand, the shifting sand of, of what culture thinks, what the world around us says, what our families say, what our friends say, what we see online, what we see anywhere? Is, is that what we build our foundation on or do we build it upon Jesus and his word and in so doing allow for a foundation that can withstand trials and tribulations which will come and for everyone in this room or watching online, trials and tribulations that have come. So Matthew 7 focuses on where to build. But in the parallel passage, in other words, the passage that is in Luke 6 that has a very similar feel and it's a very similar uh, message. There's a few words here and there that are a little different and we want to unpack those today. Because if Matthew 7 tells us where to build, Luke 6 points us on how to build. How do we build that foundation? How do we build our house? How do we build our lives upon God and his word? And so we're going to start looking at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And, and Jesus, if, if, if you're newer to faith or newing to, newer to reading the Bible, you might have a picture in mind of Jesus just being very like calm with like perfectly brown hair with like beautiful blue eyes and very meek and mild. And he's, he's, he's meek, but he's, don't confuse meekness for weakness, right? And so he just goes and he says, he's just very, um, here's a sugar coat in this passage. Luke 6, 46, just to start off, says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's no punches being pulled in that. It says that there are people here in this time that are crowd and there are people who are disciples. And that word Lord, Lord is this idea. It's, it's the, uh, uh, the idea of a, a master of a household or the head of a household. And it's, it denotes a certain type of authority. And it's saying, why are you telling me that I'm an authority in your life if you're going to completely disregard what I say to do? You ever be, if you're a student and the teacher says, this is what I want, and this is how long the paper needs to be, this is what my project looks like, this is how it is, and they give it to you very clearly, you're like, nah, that's good, I'm going to do it the way I want it to do. How does that work out for you? If you're an employee and your boss or your supervisor says, here's what I need you to do, here's how I want you to do it, and, and here's the, the process of the project, and he's like, nah, I'm good, I'm going to do it on my own. How does that work out for you? 
when it comes to this idea of Lord, Lord, he's saying, you're, telling, you're calling upon me as Lord. You're calling upon me as an authority in your life. But how can you call me that if you do not do what I say? And there are some of us who love Jesus who hear that verse, and that in and of itself is enough to convict us this morning. Because he's called us to do things, and we're not doing them. He's called us to not do things, and we're still doing them. Francis Chan gives this example. We've shared it before, but it's a good one, so we're going to share it again from his basic video series. It's called Basic. And he talks about how, imagine his daughter. And he tells his daughter, hey, honey, I want you to go clean your room. And she says, she goes off, and he realizes, he sees that her room isn't clean. And she says, she says, Daddy, I thought about what you said. You told me to clean my room. He's like, you're right, go clean your room. She goes off, and she's like, it, he's like, it wouldn't fly if she comes back to me a day or so later and says, Daddy, guess what? I learned how to say clean your room in Greek. In the original language of the New Testament. Just saying, oh, I, I, learned, how, I learned the ancient languages. And he says, oh, okay, but go clean your room. And then she comes back the next day and says, it wouldn't work if she says, Daddy, I got my group, my group of my friends around, and we sat in my unclean room and talked about how good it would be if I cleaned my room. And he says, that's not going to work. Clean your room. And then he refers to Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Because we might say, or we might have God be telling us, do this or don't do that. And we say, God, I thought about what you said. I'm going to do that. And then go off and live differently. God, I learned the ancient languages of what you're trying to say there. And, and what you're trying to say is to go and do that. I, I learned that in Greek. And he says, yeah, go and do it. God, I got into a small group and we talked about how great it would be if I did what you told me to do. To which Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Are we placing ourselves under the authority of Jesus and his words? Are we building our lives upon the foundation? So verse 46 talks about how one thing that both the people who are the wise builder and the unwise builder, both of them call upon him as Lord. But we're going to highlight a couple of things that verse 47 and 48 show us that those who do build the right foundation, here are some things that they do that we ought to pay attention to. So the first one, starting in verse 47. Oh, there we go. It says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. We'll stop there for a moment. Notice in the highlighted passages or the highlighted words on the screen, there are a few things that a person who builds their house upon the foundation does. Not only do they call him Lord, like verse 46 does, which both people in this parable do, but then they come to him and they hear his words and then they put them into practice. It's by doing all of those things that then if you go to the next slide, you see that how they dug down deep when they built their house. See, what ends up happening or, or part of the idea here is that in, um, 
ancient Palestine in this area that there would be a, a, a hard cap or, or a hard top that people would want to build on, a hard pan. And so it looks like it's hard. And so people would start to build upon this, this top layer that seemed hard, but in reality, it would not withstand when storms would come. And so the, the, the concept here is, look, it looks like it's a good foundation. We're not comparing in this sense, we're not comparing rock and sand like they are in Matthew 7. That's not, the point isn't where they build in Luke 6. Because rock and sand are very obvious. Well, that's rock and that's sand. No, no, no. This one is like, how do you build it? Because it looks like it's going to be a decent foundation. The, the hard level of dirt on the top looks suitable for building. The ways of the world or what our friends and our family, what, what we hear, what we're inundated with all the time look, appear to be good ways for us to build our lives. Good foundations for our family and for our homes. But there's some assembly that's required to, as, they, as Jesus says here, to dig down deeper. We can't be satisfied with a seeming foundation on the top that seems like it's okay. We need to dig down deeper until we find the rock that's underneath the layers. Because issues in our lives that are beneath the surface, the, thing, the fear, the anger, the sadness, the anxiety, the worry, those things that boil up above the surface and can cause damage, those cannot be solved just by hearing God's word only. What does Luke 6.49 say? The people who don't build their house upon the foundation of the rock says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Leave that up there for a moment because if the person who's built their house, how they built their life, if you're building it on Jesus and his words, you call him as Lord, you come to him, you hear his words, and you put them into practice. It's not either or. It's not someone, some the other. If that's what you do. You dig deep. And in so doing, you dig away at the hard, seeming hard level that you think you could build on. You dig deeper to get to the actual rock. Contrast this here with those in verse 49 who don't build their house on the firm foundation. What they do instead is they hear, they call him Lord, like verse 46. And they hear his words. They don't come to him. And they don't put it into practice. So here's the challenging moment. As I've shared, my, part of my job is to speak truth and love. I would assume, I assume is the right word. I'd be willing to guess, to venture a guess, that there are many of us either in this room or watching online who we think that coming to church services and hearing a sermon is enough for us to build a foundation upon God. That hearing a sermon for 30 to <laughs> minutes is enough to feel like, okay, good, I did my, I did my Jesus thing this week. I, I, I heard God's word this week. And you know what's really hard as a pastor a lot of things. But you know one thing that's specifically that's hard as a pastor is when you have people that you know and love who tell you that they're not, they're leaving because they're not being fed at the church. And I've had that in previous years. That's happened before. 
And it's hard because at first it feels like it's a dig at you, right? But secondly, it hurts because the truth of the matter is, is that if someone is only being fed with God's word, for the hour-long service that we have here at church, it's no wonder you're not going to be fed because one sermon a week is not enough to draw us close to the Lord in the same way that one meal a week is not serve us to be able to be healthy, or one hour of sleep in a week would cause us to be healthy throughout our lives. If you're only being fed from a sermon, and you're only hearing God's word, and that's it, it may have the appearance of a, of a foundation, but it's not something that you've dug deep enough to have that be very, to be ingrained into the very fiber of your being. This is a challenging thought for us to wrestle with this morning. Are we just hearing God's word? Are we actually putting him into practice? Does what we hear on a Sunday, or if you're in a Bible study midweek or a Sunday school or whatever it may be, does that actually change how you live Monday through Saturday? Or have we become so accustomed to discipleship, meaning accumulation of intellectual knowledge, that we fail to realize that it's not just having intellectual knowledge, it's living with wisdom based on that knowledge to live the life God calls us to live. I can know it's unhealthy for me to eat certain foods, but if I know it and still eat it, then I should not be upset at the knowledge giver that I'm gaining weight or that I'm not healthy. It's what we know versus how we live. So we can't just hear God's words on a, sermon, on a Sunday sermon and have that be enough for our discipleship, for our growth, for our foundation. So how do we do this then? Okay, because we talked last week, and, and there's some of you, if you are with us last week, you know, we had three different shares. And if you weren't with us, you can always uh, follow along at pomerado.com slash messages. You can watch those sermons. We have a podcast. You can follow along there. But we talked about how there are three chairs. Chair one was someone who was devoted to God. Chair two was someone who was divided, kind of one foot in the Lord and one foot in the world and trying to navigate and straddle the line. And then one chair that was someone who was distant. And I got that, um, I that concept from, um, uh, from a book by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. And so we looked at that idea. And so some people might say, hey, I'm in chair two. I want to be in chair one. How do I get there? Because I'm going to service. I'm going to church. But that's not necessarily enough to build a foundation. So I want to give you one example of one thing we can do. I'm in grad school, we're in a communal, I'm in a class called Leading Communal Spiritual Disciplines. And so I'm going to walk us through something for the next few minutes that we have together. Again, you're in a safe place. Don't, don't uh, feel uncomfortable. We're going to see, we're going to allow God to speak to us through his word in a way that maybe we're not altogether familiar with. Maybe for some of you, you've opened up God's word and it feels like you're reading a phone book. <laughs> Remember those? Anyways. It feels like you're reading something that has no bearing upon your life. You may as well say this, this means nothing to me because I read it and nothing happens. Maybe for some of you, you read and the way you read is what we've come to realize of, of like analytically looking at the Bible and only seeing it analytically or logically. 
and, and this is not a bad thing. We want to be able to dive into God's word. And we want to be able to, to look at the Greek and to look at the different languages, to look at what that means and tie in themes. Those are all great things. They just can't be the only thing. You can't just eat carbs. I would love to, but you can't just eat one food group, right? We can't just see God and his word as something that's to be analyzed. It's also something in which we can be engaged. Some of us are left-brained, and so we look at the analysis of God's word. Some of us are right-brained, and we want to be creative and engage and imagine and experience. Those are all good things. And I want to challenge and encourage us that for hundreds of years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, for over 1,500 years, the people did not have a written Bible. They, they didn't have the ability to have a Bible on their phone or to have a, a paper Bible that they could read at any time and devotionally go through. How did they experience God's word? Well, they heard it. They heard it, and then they had to decide to put it into practice. So we are so inundated with having scripture around us all the time that we're almost um, desensitized by saying, oh, I can just look up that Bible verse. I can just look at it, as opposed to recognizing how Important is for us to hear it and to experience it. Am I saying it's bad of a Bible study? Of course not. Am I saying there are other ways in which we can engage in God's word as well? Absolutely. So we're going to lean into a passage together for the next few moments. And we're going to partake in a spiritual discipline called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina means divine reading. Another way of saying it is devotional reading. Um, and what is it's not reading simply to gain facts. It's not reading just simply to cross-reference other scriptures, which again, is not bad. There's study is a spiritual discipline, and so is meditation, and so is Lecto Divina. There are different ways. And so what we're going to do is I shared earlier about the anxiety and the fear, the anger, the sadness that's bubbling, was bubbling beneath the surface in which I got so upset that I broke a, a dish brush, Right? And again, I would venture to say I'm not the only one that has things bubbling beneath the surface. So Lectio Divina takes between four to maybe 12 verses, and we read it several times with a different focus each time. So I'm going to be reading from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. And I'm going to encourage you all, because I love you all so much, I can hear the pages turning. I'm going to encourage you all not to pull up that passage. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes and listen. To it. And this goes for those of you who are watching online and everyone here. I'm going to ask you to kind of shake it out a little bit, okay? I'm going to ask you to sit, sit down with the, your, sit your straight up so that your back is all the way to the back of your chair as best as you can. I'm going to ask you to have your feet flat on the floor. I'm going to ask you to just take a few deep breaths. And as you do that, you don't always have to do this. One of the things I like to do are, are breath prayers, which is you breathe something in and then you breathe out. But in so doing, you, you uh, pray something. So I know for some of you, this is going to feel weird. I'm going to ask you to just walk alongside this with me in this time and see what God has. For some of you, you may not experience something right away, but I ask you to stick with it. And do the hard work of digging underneath the surface in order to dig down deep. So what you might do is you might... Breathe in, and you might breathe in the name of God like, Abba, Father. And you breathe out a prayer. Meet me today. 
You might breathe in something like light of the world. Shine in my heart in the midst of darkness. You might just say, less of me or more of you and less of me. We're going to breathe for a couple moments slowly. Let's not distract one another. Let's slow down. Legs flat on the ground or feet flat on the ground, arch, or back arched up. Just take a few deep breaths as we get ready to hear God's word from Philippians 4. So let's breathe a few times. Just eyes still closed, the first step of Lecture Divina is to just read. I will read the passage. And as I read it, pay attention to if there's a word or an idea that, as my professor would say, shimmers to you or shines to you. For me, I would say jumps out at you or is impactful to you. So as you hear these words, listen and see what, what word is God pointing to you? Now, some of you, again, you don't even know where you're at with God yet. If we ask, he'll meet us where we are. So open yourself up to what he may say to you in these words. So with your eyes closed, taking deep breaths, listen as we do the first step of reading and seeing what jumps out at you. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, as you're still taking a few deep breaths, which word jumped out at you? And, and just be still and think upon that word for a few moments. that word still in your mind or still in your heart, I'm going to read it a second time. And the next step is for you to reflect, saying why is that word the word that's impacting you today? Maybe it's asking God, why this passage, why this word on this day? 
and receive or, or experience what it is that he has. It's hard for us to slow down, but let's hear this passage one more time to reflect on why that word is so impactful to you. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Reflect on that word and why God might be bringing up that word to you today. And take a few moments to do so. As I read the third time, the next step is to respond. Respond to what God is sharing with you. And, and so maybe that's an invitation for you to act a certain way or to do something differently. Maybe it's an invitation to not do something that you've been doing. Maybe it's just the invitation to come to him and to be still with him. Let me read it one more time and respond. And what is God calling you to do in response to what you've read? Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How is God calling you to respond to his word this morning? Not just to hear it, but to put it into practice. Take a few moments in prayer.
And the last time I read it, just rest in whatever he's revealed to you. No response, no reflection, just rest in these words. And let them dig deeper under the found, into the foundation of your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were in a small group together, we would take some time to, to hear the words and the why and everything and, and to be able to really unpack how God revealed. Because it's beautiful when God might speak one thing to one person and someone, something else to someone different. And it's the same passage but, and it's the same Lord, but we're not all in the same place. And it's beautiful how rich God's word is. But I just wonder, not that we would unpack everything, but can, would there be a few people who would be willing to just share what your word is? And, and that goes for you online. Write it in the chat. What word was the word that shines, that shimmered, that, that jumped out at you? Can I hear anyone share that right now? Rejoice. Awesome. Thank you. Peace. Thank you. God is near. Was there another one that I heard or was that? I see a lot of heads nodding with God is near. That, that one resonated with a few of us today. Wonderful. What else? Guard. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. In the first service we had a lot of the same ones. Guard. We had transcend underst all understanding. Rejoice. Peace. See, when we have anxious thoughts that are boiling underneath, beneath the surface... We have God's word that can dig deeper, where we can hear his word. We can come to him. We can put into practice what he says. And so as we are finishing up with our sermon today, I, I wanted to not just give you a 30 to 45-minute message, but to say here's one way, Lectio Divina, as it says on your screen, one way in which you can engage in God's word and maybe a different way, a way that has been done for hundreds of years but might feel so foreign to many of us to read, to reflect, to respond, and to rest in what we've received. And so as we close this morning, my hope and my prayer is that whatever anxieties that have been bu bubbling beneath the surface of your life, whether it's family dynamics, whether it's your kids struggling in school, whether it's you're struggling with one another, whatever it is, maybe you're, whatever it could be, Knowing that you can go to God with all these things that our fears and our struggles and our pains and our heartaches and, and our anxieties are not things that we need to hide into the garage and try to put wood glue on to hope that they can suffice. But it's to present our brokenness, to confess our brokenness, and to let our Lord who loves you so much provide healing. And not just healing that stays above the surface but healing that digs beneath the surface 
so that we can build a foundation that can withstand storms, floods, winds, trials, and tribulations. Because I can't be the only one to feed you. The Lord wants to meet you here. Say, build your life upon him and him alone. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that your words are ones that we can build our lives upon. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired dozens of authors to write 66 books over thousands of years. And yet the message of your love for your people and your willingness to lay down the life of Jesus so we may be united with you in eternity is, is just beautiful beyond comparison. God, I pray for those of us that maybe didn't have a word jump out or maybe we feel like we're, we're so inundated with our anxious thoughts that we can't even navigate how to pray to you. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here this morning. I pray for those of us who are maybe part of the crowd rather than wanting to be fully discipled yet. And so, God, may you speak to us in the crowd just as Jesus, you spoke to so many thousands of years ago who were in the crowd. Holy Spirit, may we be open to how you want to engage with us. And may we go deeper than the surface level answers. Holy Spirit, reveal to us the areas in our that are beneath the surface, the iceberg that will cause havoc to those we love and to ourselves. May those, that iceberg be melted away through the warmth of your love and relationship with you. And Jesus, may we come and cry out how great you truly are as we worship you in just a moment. Thank you that you, Jesus, are the only foundation upon which we can build our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.